What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode nine of season two. I am your host, Kurt Field. And it's your boy, socially distanced Bruno. Kurt, what do I mean by that? So why is Bruno socially distanced, you might ask? And that's a fair question. But like all things in 2020, it's because things just didn't work out the way they were supposed to this week. For those of you who might not know, I moved down to Stanford, Connecticut this past weekend with the help of family and friends who moved me into my uh, new townhouse down here. Things went great. Got the Wi-Fi. Uh, the day I moved in on Sunday, everything was good. Wi-Fi's been good all week. Go to record the podcast today. No dice. The Wi-Fi looked at me. It laughed. It said, nope, it's not, it's not going to happen for you today, Kurt. So we're going to mess up all your plans. And uh, and you're going to have to figure out a way to do this podcast a different a different way than normal. But Kurt, it's it's Thursday night. Why are you recording the podcast on Thursday night when it's supposed to come out Wednesday at midnight? Well, another good question. Uh, this week, I woke up on Tuesday morning with absolutely no voice. And then yesterday, I didn't feel very well. Um, throat was bad. I ended up going to a couple walk-in clinics, which then sent me to the walk-in clinic at the hospital who told me my blood sugar levels were way too low. And long story short, I'm better now. Um, feeling good. But that's why the episode couldn't come out on Wednesday at midnight like it normally does. So for all you millions of people out there who are definitely clamoring to know why, that is why. So I was like, whatever, no big deal. We'll do it Thursday and we'll get it out. <laughs> well, again, the Wi-Fi had other plans. So shout out to Bruno for being the OG, the dog, the realest one there is in the whole damn world for uh, having to cooperate with me and uh, trying to get a podcast out to you guys some way, somehow this week. So basically, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. Bruno and I went down the list of NFL games, and we are each doing half of them. So you're going to hear from me on half of them and Bruno on half of them. So without any further ado, let's just get right into the matchups from Week 8, starting with Thursday Night Football Atlanta at Carolina. Matt Ryan and the Falcons avenged an earlier loss the season to the Panthers by beating the Carolina Panthers 25-17 on the road. It's funny because Bruno had an awesome quote, I believe it was in last week's podcast, where he said, forget winning for the Falcons. They need to learn how to lose normally first. And he was right. You know, they had two, maybe three, completely backbreaking, heartbreaking losses this year that like they shouldn't have lost any of those games. So Bruno's point was before they can win a game, let's learn to lose correctly. Like let's just lose by two touchdowns or something. But uh, they skipped a whole bunch of steps, Bruno, and they uh, they pulled it off on the road. I mean, they're two and six. They're they're largely irrelevant this year. They're 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 not making the playoffs. They're not going to go anywhere really. But that's a nice that's a nice win for them. Matt Ryan was was really good through the air. He didn't throw any touchdowns, but he he kept drives alive. He had a good quarterback rating. Um, Todd Gurley found the end zone again, which helped my fantasy team. So thank you very much. Julio Jones does what Julio Jones does. Just like another very solid outing for him. He had uh, what was it seven receptions for 137 yards. So you're gonna tell me this man is averaging almost 20 yards a catch this game? That's a that's a job well done for. For Julio Jones on the Carolina side of the ball, 
they that wasn't a pretty performance per se. Teddy Bridgewater was 15 to 23 for 176 yards, one touchdown, one interception, but the that poor man stood back there and got absolutely walloped all game. Got hurt, got knocked out of the game on one of the dirtier hits I've ever seen in the NFL. Um, I'm glad that he was able to come back, but that was a scary sight. So glad he was back. And then, you know, the Panthers offense was, just looked very mediocre. And um, ultimately, that was the difference in the game. All right. Moving into Bengals Titans. We have a little bit of a surprise here. I think most people thought that the Titans coming into this game were the better team. I think the betting lines certainly favored the Titans. However, the Bengals come out with the 31-20 to victory over the Titans. Big takeaway is that Joe Burrow continues to impress at quarterback for the Bengals, looking every bit like the top pick that he was made before the season, obviously rookie quarterback. I think the biggest thing with the Titans is that, I'm going to be honest, I was sitting here last week after the Titans lost to the Steelers saying, I still think the Titans are legit. I think that if you play that game against the Steelers again, the Titans might be able to pull it out and come out on top. However, I don't look as big-brained this week with the Titans coming away with the loss against the Bengals. Still have a big brain, just not as big-brained, I would say. For me, um, the story of this game is that the Titans almost didn't really show up to play, it felt like, at the start of the game, which is kind of similar to last week, how it felt like. And so we had the Bengals going up 24 to 7 at one point. It, they were up 17 to 7 at halftime. Then no scores at all in the third quarter. And then they go up 24 to 7 to start the fourth quarter. And the, you know, the Titans kind of tried to mount a late comeback at the end of the game, like towards the end of the fourth quarter, but it just wasn't enough. And we have seen examples of teams in the past that are able to go down and come back with some confidence, right? We saw that with the Chiefs actually last year in the Super Bowl. However, these Titans are not those Chiefs, nor any of the other teams, right? And it seemed like in this game, it was simply a little too much for them to handle. I will say there were some good signs from the Titans, right? We had Derrick Henry, 18 carries, 112 yards, and a touchdown. He looked like, you know, pretty good for the most part. We had Corey Davis balling out this week, eight catches, 128 yards, and a touchdown. If you had him in fantasy, I hope you started him because he balled out. Tannehill. 18 of 30, 230 yards, two TDs, one interception. Honestly, he was okay, but it really just seemed like the Titans defense just wasn't able to stop the Bengals when it mattered. It seemed like the Bengals were able to get the points in early, get obviously points in at the end of the game to give themselves a bigger cushion. And then it just seemed like the story of this game was that the Titans did some good things, just not enough to match what the Bengals were putting out. So I don't know what this necessarily says about the Titans moving forward. They're still 5-2. and two. They're still in a great position to, you know, sort of move forward and be in a position to succeed moving forward. But if they want to make any noise in the playoffs, they want any sort of repeat of last year when, you know, we all know what happened last year. I'm not going to say it. Don't ask Kurt. But we know what the Titans did in the playoffs last year. If they want any chance of doing that again this year, they're going to have to clean up some of these consistency issues. And we're going to have to see moving forward if Tannehill is able to play at the level that he's been playing to start the season and their defense is going to have to step it up. So looking to see how the Titans continue to play and see if they're contender or pretender. All right. Next we got on tap for you. We have the Raiders pulling what I would say is the upset over the Browns this week. The Raiders win this one 16 to six on the road, relatively boring game. I'm not going to lie to you. Pretty boring game. Not a lot of touchdowns were scored. 
Um, and I, I, if we had picked this game in our pick six, I think I definitely would have would have rode with the Browns. I, I said last week that I was so impressed with the way the Browns played offensively without Odell in that game. I was like, they're finding their groove. Baker Mayfield looked great. Well, this week, Baker Mayfield looked terrible. 12 of 25, 122 yards, averaging like 4.9 yards per pass. That just doesn't cut it. No touchdowns. And then on the other side of the ball, Derek Carr, same thing. 15 of 24 for 111 yards, 4.6 yards per pass. He had a touchdown, though. But, I mean, that's just two terrible quarterback performances from both those teams. I think the real story here was the running game. And specifically with the Vegas Raiders, uh, did I call them Oakland earlier? Oof, if I did, sorry. The Las Vegas Raiders, Josh Jacobs, 31 carries for like a buck 30. It's just when you're able to control time and possession like that in a game where the other offense is sputtering, it's going to do good things for your football team. And, you know, Josh, that's what Josh Jacobs is there to do. He's there to eat yards, eat time on the uh, eat, eat the time on the clock. And and uh, that's what he did this week for the for the Raiders. And don't look now, but the Raiders are four and three, and they're three and one on the road. So, uh, oh, who was that one loss? You bet the two and five Patriots. Okay, just throwing that out there. But um, the Raiders look legit, and they look like, look like a team that could potentially be uh, playoff bound if they keep if they keep winning these games. Um, so that's just something we got to keep an eye on going forward here. Rolling right into Colts Lions again. Another one of those games that I don't look the smartest on. I believe this was in our weekly pick six from last week. Took the Lions with a ton of confidence and that completely backfired. The Colts stomped the Lions 41 to 21. Kind of a weird game, not going to lie to you. The Colts, so they had 41 points. They scored six touchdowns and they missed an extra point. That's how they ended up at 41. Not a math guy. Don't check that math. That's just how the math works out. So they scored three touchdowns in the second quarter and three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And that's what they did. Nothing in the first and the third. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. Um, It just seemed like the Colts were able to get whatever they wanted this game. Like all of their running backs, for the most part, played well. Phillip Rivers threw for three touchdowns. It seemed like they were clicking all over the field in terms of offense. I didn't watch a ton of this game, to be honest, because it was kind of one of those matchups that they they weren't really showing. But um, I did continue to check the score. And every time I feel like I checked the score, it seemed like the Colts had more and more points. So for the Lions, they traded last week for Everson Griffin, the pass rusher. And they are, you know, ho- they're at three and four. They're hoping that they can have some sort of season to remember in terms of making some noise here and there. But this is just one of those inconsistent games kind of from both teams. We've seen the Colts have some great wins this year, but we've also seen them had some bad losses, notably the Jaguars in week one. We've seen the Lions been able to have some good games, but also a ton of bad games. So uh, I always like to say consistency is key. We're not really seeing that from both of these teams. But, I mean, the important news from this game is that the Colts were able to to come out with the win, and Phil Rivers looked good, which we've been hoping from a football perspective that Phil Rivers would be able to figure it out in Indianapolis. This was a great game on his half, hopefully moving forward. 
um, he can continue to play well. On the flip side for the Lions, Kenny Galladay injured, and he's doubtful for this upcoming week. Hopefully he's okay because he's a major part of their offense, and he had just come back. Matt Stafford also was placed on the COVID list this week, I think for close contact, though, not for a direct result. Hopefully he's been able to come back and play well. Um, but we're just going to have to see. I think both these teams are capable of putting out good performances. It's just can either of them find the consistency to do so. So we'll see. Colts at 5-2, and two, they're kind of just in a similar story to the Titans in the AFC. They have a great record. They're in a great position to succeed, but if, if they can't find any consistency, not sure how long they'll last uh, should they make it to the playoffs. So we will see how both of these teams continue to develop. All right, next up, we got one of those classic, classic trap games. It's those in-division games between what normally is division rivals that can sometimes trip you up. And this week, the Minnesota Vikings got the best of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the Vikings went on the road 28-22. Vikings are 2-5. and five. Packers now drop to 5-2. and two. Um, And I feel like the, the story of this game was vintage Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook runs for three touchdowns. He has 30 carries, 163 yards. And again, I mentioned it earlier with the time management. that Being able to run the ball success, successfully like that gave the Vikings the perfect opportunity to not allow Aaron Rodgers to be on the field with the football. Rodgers did his best. Rodgers threw three touchdowns too. I mean, he was in it. Um, he, he's always going to keep his team in it. But, I mean, time of possession, it was about – you know, it was 50-50-ish, but the the Vikings did a, did a good job with the ground and pound. Kirk Cousins only threw 14 passes. He was efficient with the 14 passes. He completed 11 of them. But, I mean, I think that was perfect of not, you know, Kirk Cousins has tried to do too much this year. And uh, it was one of those games where the offensive line was great. Dalvin Cook was great. And it got the Vikings a win that I don't think anybody really expected. Bruno, what do you got for me next? In our weekly New York Jets recap, the Jets are 0-8, and they played the Chiefs this week, and the Chiefs were their eighth loss, in case you couldn't put that together already. The Jets so far this season do not have a win. Um, I'm not going to mention who they're playing in next week or when they're playing, because I'm not going to jinx myself. I'm not going to say anything. But what I will say is about this game in particular, it kind of went what you'd expect a game between possibly the best team in the NFL and possibly the worst team in the NFL to go. I will say it was kind of close to start the game. Um, at halftime, it ended up being 21-9 to for the Chiefs, but that's only because they scored a touchdown with a minute left. So really, it almost went to the halftime 14-9, to which is a lot closer than you think it would be. Um, and the Jets were kind of hanging around here and there. To be complete, completely honest, it kind of feels like the Chiefs just kind of showed up expecting to win which they they should have it's the jets we're talking about here right um but it almost feel like they came out not taking it as seriously as they should have in the second half they pitched a shutout jets didn't score a single point and the chiefs added uh two more touchdowns so really i don't come away from this game with a whole lot of takeaways for either we knew the chiefs were good they showed us some kind of cool uh ways that they had scoring patrick mahomes did that kind of like underhanded pass again to i think travis kelsey for a score we know he can do a ton of things with the football not great the jets they had you know they had three field goals good for them field goal team looking great other than that though it seems like there were some struggles it's just kind of like the story of the jets season so far they just can't really seem to pull it, put it together so not a ton to take away from this game the chiefs get another win the jets get another loss that's kind of been the story of the nfl so far this season 
All right. Hand up. I was wrong. It's becoming a thing now. I'm getting to be wrong a lot here. I made a, a stink about how I thought Brian Flores and the Dolphins sitting Ryan Fitzpatrick was the wrong move uh, in turn for Tua Tungavailoa. Bam. First try, by the way. Um, the I was like, I, w- I wouldn't do it. I don't know if it's the right time. Fitzpatrick's been playing well. Well, Jesus, I need to shut my damn mouth because in his first game, he goes out and he beats the Rams. So I thought we're actually, you know, one of the better teams in the NFC this year. And um, he goes out there and beats them 28 to 17 in his first start. Um, the The Dolphins were up 28 to 10 at the half in this game. And what was, I mean, Jared Goff threw the ball 61 times, but that was, again, because they were down by 18 points at the half, you know. Uh, Miami didn't score in the second half, which is definitely cause for concern. And Tua didn't look that good necessarily, you know. He uh, he was 12 of 22 for 93 yards. Like, that's not going to win you a ton of games. His QBR was terrible. But, you know, it it didn't affect the team in the way that I thought it would affect the team. So good for the Dolphins, good for Tua. First win under his belt. And I guess the Dolphins look like a team that could be fighting for a playoff spot, huh? Four and three now. Um, the Rams dropped to five and three. And Jared Goff, I mean, again, 61 passes for him is just something you're not looking for. You, like, that's just, that's not what the Rams are. That's not what the Rams should be or are going to want to be going forward. He turned the ball over twice. Um, just not. Not a very good performance by the Rams. I think this is back-to-back weeks now, maybe, that they've had bad games. Um, but four turnovers for the Rams, is just it's, that's going to cost you. Um, and and I, ultimately, field position kind of and the defense of Miami dominated this game because total yards, if you look at total yards only in this game, the Rams had 471. The Dolphins had 145, and they won the game by 11 points. So... Pretty wacky stat, if I do say so myself. I'm a, I'm a pretty wacky stat guy, though. So um, <laughs> let's see what we got next from Bruno. This game in particular was a great game, and I'm talking about the Steelers and the Ravens. The Steelers, undefeated so far, stayed undefeated this week with a 28-24 to comeback victory over the Ravens. We all know whenever the Steelers play the Ravens, it's a divisional rivalry. We know it's a heated game. We know these teams, coaches, players don't like each other. There's a lot of history with these two teams, and usually when they play each other, it's a banger of a game. I wouldn't say this was the craziest game between the Steelers and the Ravens we've ever seen, but it did have some of the usual drama. It did have some of the usual excitement. The story of the first half was the Ravens. They were kind of controlling the ball, controlling the clock. They were ended up ending the first half up 17 to 7 thanks to a field goal with zero seconds left from Justin Tucker who's arguably the goat um well you know Adam Vinatieri and Simon Gostowski but you know maybe maybe he's top 3 uh so they ended up the half 17 to 7 and you'd think that going to half uh that if you were watching the game the Ravens just had to come out in the second half and do their thing and they'd be fine well wouldn't you know it they did not do their thing in fact Lamar Jackson came out to start the second half promptly through an interception the Steelers took advantage and scored to bring it back to 17 to 14 and that changed the whole complexion of the game Steelers kind of got back to some of their winning football in the second half um, and the Steelers scored with about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter to go up 28 to 24 and were able to hold on for the rest of the game to pull out the victory the takeaways from this game are that the Steelers defense is legit 
right? It's no small feat to bottle up Lamar Jackson in that potent Ravens offense. But what I'll also say is that we have seen this trend so far of Lamar Jackson not really being able to win the big games. We see him putting up stats in like all sorts of regular season games and he'll, you know, kind of crush the bad teams and do pretty well against the average teams. But it seems like whenever there's a big game, we already saw it with the Chiefs earlier this season and we've seen it in his playoff appearances so far. We've seen Lamar Jackson when he's forced to consistently and accurately throw the football. We have not seen him take it to that next level where some of these other top tier quarterbacks are at. So if I'm a Ravens fan, by no means does this loss mean the season's over. By no means does this mean that the division is wrapped up and the Steelers are going to take it. But what I will say is that we are still waiting for Lamar Jackson when the lights come on to perform under the pressure. So another great win for the Steelers. Um, some people, if you had taken a look at their schedule earlier in the season, they didn't have a lot of wins against great teams, but this is a great win against the Ravens. Again, Ravens are quality quality team in their own right, and then you factor in division rival, and you factor in all the history. So this is a great win for the Steelers. Obviously, as a Patriots fan, I'm hoping they lose any day now because I don't love whenever a team goes on a long undefeated streak. So we will have to monitor how that goes for the Steelers moving forward. But if you're a Steelers fan, you know, we have Ben Roethlisberger playing well, not playing anything, you know, at a Patrick Mahomes level or any elite level, but he's doing enough to get them to the to the point where they can keep winning these games. We have you know, he's spreading the ball around to the different receivers. James Conner's looking solid at, at running back. So the Steelers are probably, you could even say, not even playing up to their full potential on offense and still managing to win a lot of these games. So that's a great sign if you're a Steelers fan moving forward because you want their defense to be playing well. You have to think their offense is only going to get more chemistry as the season goes on. So all in all, the Steelers passed their test with this win over the Ravens, and we will see how long they are uh, continue to be undefeated. If I happen to jinx it this week and they lose next week, that's a real shame. You know, I'd be very, very upset if I just happened to jinx the Steelers into losing. So we will see what ends up happening. All right, guys. I don't even know what to say at this point for Justin Herbert. The dude can flat out ball. His team just does not win him goddamn football games. It's getting ridiculous. The Chargers were up 14 to 3 at the half over the Broncos this week on the road, 14 to 3. Even after the end of the third quarter, it's 24-10. You're feeling pretty good about it, right? Feeling pretty good. Nope. The Broncos outscored the Chargers 21-6 in the fourth quarter to win the game 31-30. The Chargers are now 2-5 and five this year, and I swear to God, four of their losses should be wins. The Chargers, I remember saying the stat earlier in the year about the Chargers are like 1-17 or something in Oh, of their 18 losses or something, 17 have been by like six points or less. Well, add another one to that that group because this team just can't figure out how to win. And it's becoming their Achilles heel. Now, you can blame Justin Herbert for part of that, I guess, by only scoring six points in the fourth quarter while the Broncos scored 21. But, you know, a 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter should feel relatively comfortable. And Herbert did his part. He threw for almost 300 yards. He threw three more touchdowns in this game. It's just, at the end, Drew Locke and the Broncos' offense got hot. Um, Drew Locke, three touchdowns. Uh, Philip Lindsay had a great game on the ground, and then they pulled it out in the end. It's just like, my God, the Chargers, man. When are they going to figure out how to pull out one of these games? Like, I I need them to pull out one of these games. Um, 
The good news is, I mean, if the Patriots have any, 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 any prayer to make the playoffs, the Chargers being 2-5 and five as well is, a, I guess, a reason to celebrate because at least the Patriots are in the same spot as them. You know what I'm saying? <sighs> Deep sigh. Next up, we have Saints-Bears. The Saints win an absolute thriller over the Bears, 26-23 to in overtime. This was a game where it was hard to get a grasp on it for almost what it felt like the whole game. Very back and forth, a lot of lead changes. It started out kind of slow in the first quarter, a couple field goals, uh, and then at the half, the Bears were up 13-10, to 10, which was probably a surprise to many people considering the Bears are just one of those teams that, you know, despite not having the talent, despite not playing well, seem to be finding themselves in positions where they can win some of these games, and obviously they have so far. Um, the Saints kind of came back a little bit with a couple field goals in the third quarter to take the lead 16 to 13. And then in the fourth quarter, that's when things started to get kind of crazy. It was it Saints went up by 10, and you would have thought that basically Bears down 10 in the fourth quarter. That's game over. See you later. Saints taking the victory. Instead of all things to happen, we have Nick Foles doing enough to lead the Bears to score to bring it within three with three minutes left. And then somehow leading a game-tying field goal drive to tie it up at 23 to send it into overtime. This was shocking. Honestly, at this point, if you were watching this game, it almost just felt like things were bouncing the way of the Bears. And we were just going to see the Bears somehow win another game in many fashion, much fashion, all of the fashion that they've done this year where they just kind of steal victories here and there. However, in overtime, Bears did absolutely nothing on offense, could not get anything done. The Saints didn't look incredibly impressive either, but they managed to pick up some big third down conversions, pick up some big plays, and they did just enough to get into position to hit the winning field goal, and they take the victory 26-23. to um, I will say for the Saints, um, battling with a lot of injuries, we had a lot of their receivers um, injured this week. Michael Thomas didn't play. Um, we had Emmanuel Sanders didn't play. So the fact that they're getting these victories with some of their top receivers out is a good sign for the Saints. And honestly, we keep kind of waiting for the Saints to develop some sort of consistency. Um, they are one of those teams that has a ton of talent. And it just seems like some weeks it's just firing on all cylinders and on other weeks it's not. So the takeaway for the Saints is almost like they managed to win this game even if they weren't firing on all cylinders. And that's honestly, with the way the NFC is looking, every win is important no matter how they get it. So that should be the biggest takeaway for the Saints, right? That they were able to come out of this win, out of this game with a win, and they were able to keep pace with a lot of the other good teams in the NFC. However, I think the other thing you can say in defense of the Saints is that the Bears actually do have a really, really solid defense. That's the primary reason why they've been in a lot of the games this year so far. And it was definitely on display during this game and so what you can also say is hey you give a team with a great defense a chance to play a team missing its top two wide receivers and see what happens it's impressive that the saints were able to come out with a victory so drew Brees continues to get the job done he is uh nursing a shoulder injury so we'll have to see um 
if that ends up affecting him moving forward. Obviously, they have Taysom Hill right there, and uh, we all know Jameis Winston sitting on the bench. So we'll have to see moving forward if Drew Brees is able to kind of stay healthy, stay in the game, and and get some zip on some of these throws. Um, because we know, you know, Kamara is there. Thomas and Sanders are coming back. They have a lot of other weapons, Jared Cook. So, the, you know, the weapons are there, and Drew Brees just needs to get them the ball. So um, for the Bears, I would say that – it wasn't an unexpected loss. The Saints are one of the better teams in the NFC. Has to hurt knowing that they even had a chance really to win. And, you know, it might have been easier for Bears fans if they, when they were down 10 in the fourth quarter, if they had just ended up losing that way. It definitely does suck to tie it up, send it to overtime, and then just lose in overtime. So have to feel for some Bears fans there. However, at the same time, the Bears are sitting at 5-3 and three halfway through the season. I think if you had said that to any Bears fan before the season, they would have taken it. So large picture or uh, uh the bigger picture for the bears is that they're probably ahead of where they thought they would be and we'll just have to see if at some point nick Foles can play at the level that we all have seen him play in the past and and lead this bears team to to some victories so that is the saints bears the poor san francisco 49ers bruno i know you don't hear me saying this but the poor 49ers they have the injury bug in the worst way I think I've really ever seen it hit a team. They dropped this week's game 37-27 to the Seattle Seahawks, who moved to 6-1 on the year. But again, Jimmy Garoppolo down with a high ankle injury. He might have to have surgery. Um, I think you probably saw Jimmy Garoppolo play quarterback for the last time in San Francisco in this game. Um, and then more importantly to that team, George Kittle. George Kittle, again, the guy is the best tight end in football. It's it's not close. Don't give me Travis Kelsey. It's not Travis Kelsey. It's George Kittle. He uh, breaks a bone in his foot on a play where he gains a shit ton of yards, just like he always does. And um, his prognosis, I guess, is eight-ish weeks. So his season's likely done if the 49ers don't make the playoffs. Um, there, Shanahan had a good quote the other day. He's like, yeah, the doctors told me eight weeks on George, but George came in and told me two. So we'll see. Uh, hope that's not the case. Cause I dropped him off my fantasy team once I heard eight weeks. So, um, devastating blow to the 49ers who had been playing decently, decently well, um, on the other side of the ball with the Seahawks, DK Metcalf, man, I don't know what else you can say at this point. The guy, the man is a goddamn freak. 12 receptions, 161 yards, two touchdowns. The man's the man is a is a he's a specimen is what he is. I don't know how he was picked at the end of the second round. I don't know how the Patriots picked Nikhil Harry over him. Okay, it's a it's a goddamn travesty. Russell Wilson again, four more touchdowns. He's got like 480 on the year. Okay, it's just ridiculous. Seahawks move to six and one. 49ers lose the game, but ultimately they probably lose their probably lose their season uh, in this week's game. This next game was one of probably the worst games we of all season. I'm talking about the Cowboys-Eagles game. Not necessarily a fault of both teams. I mean, obviously we know that the Cowboys were missing Dak Prescott due to an injury and out the whole season. However, also down Andy Dalton this week, which meant that their third-string quarterback, Ben DiNucci, started the game for the Cowboys. And let me tell you, it was not great. On the flip side, the Eagles, they also didn't look great either. If you had said that the Eagles with a solid defense and like some, you know, some weapons on offense despite their injuries were playing the third string quarterback of the Cowboys, 
you would have probably expected this to be a blowout for the Eagles. And so the Eagles ended up winning 23 to nine, but in all reality, the game was a lot closer than that. Um, it was a nine to seven game for the Cowboys at halftime, which is not great if you're Eagles, if you weren't able to outscore the Cowboys in the first half when they're starting a, a Ben DiNucci third-string quarterback, right? And really, the only reason this game ended up being you know, a 14-point game at the end, I'm not a math guy, but that's uh, 14 points, is because there was a weird, weird play in the fourth quarter where the Cowboys were driving and they had the ball, and during one of their run plays, it looked like the guy was down, but the Eagles on defense kept fighting, so credit to them, and they didn't hear a whistle, and they popped the ball out uh, from the Cowboys and picked it up and returned it for a fumble return for a touchdown. And so during the review, we all kind of looked at it, and it was almost pretty clear that the Cowboys player was down. However, the refs did not see it that way. They let the call stand. So the Eagles went from being up 6 to being up 12, um, they tried the two-point conversion and didn't get it. And then the later, the Cowboys tried an intentional safety to add another two points on to give the Eagles two more points. They tried to do that for field position to get the ball back. Kind of weird. Um, so really, the last eight points from the Eagles were a weird set of circumstances that really shouldn't have even happened, to be honest. So this game was a lot closer than the score would indicate. I mean, for the Cowboys, it's kind of what you expected. I mean... Ben DiNucci, you know, he, he certainly tried 21 for uh, 40, uh, 180 yards, and no touchdowns, obviously, because they only had three field goals. I mean, there's not really even much you can say. Ezekiel Elliott kind of continued to struggle. He had 63 yards. I know he's missing some pieces on the offensive line, so, you know, that's not totally his fault, but he certainly has been underperforming. On the flip side for the Eagles, like, again, you the, the Cowboys haven't really been known to have the stingiest defense this year, and somehow they uh, seem to lock down the Eagles at some point. With Carson Wentz, you just have to continue to question sort of his decision-making process, what he's thinking on some of these plays, why he tries to be a hero all the time and doesn't just throw the ball away. I mean, in all in all honesty, they should have won this game in a lot more impressive fashion that they did, and they were bailed out by their defense in a couple of calls at the end of the game. So, I mean, again, if you're the Eagles, you're probably the favorites to win this division. And at this point for the NFC East, any win is a big win. So, like, they're certainly going to take it, right? Like, it's not like they're not going to take it. They'll take that dub. But as an Eagles fan, this lot, this win did not make you feel good at all moving forward um, because this sort of effort against basically any other team in any other division, maybe outside of the Jets, would probably not get you a win. So, not a whole lot to say. The Cowboys this week, uh, they're looking like they might not have Andy Dalton again, and they're not even potentially starting Ben DiNucci. They might be pulling up someone from their practice squad to start. So Cowboys are a hot mess. And then the Eagles, we kind of know, have been a hot mess all season. So we will see what the NFC East, how that continues to unfold. And uh, if they can potentially set a record for the lowest amount of wins to win a division. All right. And our final game before we talk a little bit of Patriots here, Tom Brady and the Bucks. Monday Night Football go to New York. They head to MetLife Stadium, a place where Tom Brady has played many a football games, and they beat the uh, the Giants twenty five to twenty three. Very very close game. Um, before we talk about the Bucks, good for Joe Judge. The Giants are one in seven, but they've been largely competitive in almost every single game they played. Daniel Jones made some bad turnovers in this game, which I think ultimately cost his team a win. But at the same time, he 
he showed a lot of fight and he showed a lot of promise in some of the things that he he didn't shy away from the big moment. They needed they needed a touchdown drive late and he sent them on it pretty much. Um, so good for him, good for the Giants. Their future, I think, is going to be bright under Joe Judge. If they can get a good couple draft classes in there, that's going to be a good thing. The story of this game for me, it was 14-6 Giants at the half. Brady was incredibly frustrated. It looked like the vintage Giants against Brady. Nobody was getting open. Um, Evans was not getting targeted enough early in the game. Scotty Miller was getting too many targets. Uh, the 85, the short slot guy, was getting too many targets too. Um, I don't think that will have to be a concern anymore now that Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin will be joining uh, Mike Evans in the receiving core. So I think whatever struggles you saw in the first half for the Buccaneers this week, you might not see again. Um, but Brady, again, 28 of 40, 279, two more touchdowns. He's just efficient. He doesn't turn the ball over. Brady doesn't turn the ball over. I don't know what that makes him now in the season. Um but I think he only has four interceptions and he's got well over 20 touchdowns. So good for Tom. Good for the Bucks. I'm happy. I'm, the Bucks are six and two and they're going to have a huge one this week with the Saints. And the Saints got him in week one. But I'll tell you what, don't bet against Tommy this week. Don't bet against him this week against Drew Brees. I'm telling you, Tom, he's out for blood and I'm not. Don't get in that man's way. That's all I'm saying. All right. It's time to do it. It's time to talk Patriots Bills. Here we go. All right. The Bills win the game 24-21. When we were making our pick six, uh, I had said all along, going back to the first podcast Bruno was on, that I thought the Bills were going to win the division this year and that I thought the Bills would win both of their matchups this week. Not, uh, this week. Both of the matchups against the Patriots this season, rather. And uh, I felt good about that. I felt really good about that. And the day we were doing pick six last week, something kind of came over me. It was like, the Patriots have no weapons this week. They're down Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman, two of their starting wide receivers, who their receiving core already stinks. They're down Stephon Gilmore, their best, the best corner in football. They've lost three games in a row. The weather is going to be terrible. I was like... This is the game of the Patriots normally win. And I th- I somehow convinced myself to take the Patriots. Bruno was giving himself an inner monologue at some point during our pick six. And he was I th- he was like almost trying to tell himself to take the Patriots. But ultimately, Bruno made the right decision and uh, stuck with the Bills in this one. And uh, the, Bills, the Bills pull it out. It's a huge win. It's the first time Sean McDermott has ever beaten Bill Belichick. Belichick had been 6-0 and previously. Um, so he had some bullshit thing. It was like, it's an emotional win for our city and our region. Oh, my God. Is it, grow up, dude. Like, congratulations. You, you feel good about yourself. You beat the 2-5 and five New England Patriots. Woohoo! Like, come on. Like, if that's if that was what you were trying to accomplish this year, like, if that was so emotional for you, like, you guys are going to get absolutely train wrecked in the playoffs. That's all I'm going to say about that. But let's just go through some of the stuff. This is the fourth straight loss to the Patriots, okay? The last time the Patriots lost four straight games was 2002. They finished that year 9-7. and seven. They didn't make the playoffs, and it was the year after they won Super Bowl 36 versus uh, the, the Rams. So not good, the fact that it's been 18 years. But it's also crazy. It's been 18 
years since they've lost four in a row. And four in a row is a lot. Don't get me wrong. Like, it really, really is. But um, I believe it or not, there's some stuff in this game that I think you can take away that actually went pretty well for the Patriots. So let me preface that by saying I think this was a step in the right direction for Cam. Um, Cam's stat line, he was 15 and 25 for 174 yards. Like that's not anything crazy, right? That's not anything spectacular by any means. But he threw the ball to his right, which had been a problem. Okay, he looked a little bit more confident in his reads sometimes his mechanics with that with that front foot are still a little bit wonky but it was a step in the right direction for cam and i think it was a step in the right direction for him because the patriots allowed him to run the ball more he rushed for nine times this game averaging six yards a carry okay and i feel like when the patriots allow cam to be cam he gets in the flow of the game more and when he when he gets hit and he and he's in the game and he's, you know, has the ball in his hand at all times. He, he's, he's more confident in himself. And that's the thing that I think is really lacking. Superman's lost his cape. Superman has no confidence in himself anymore. And I think he's pressing too hard. And, then, you know, he for 59 minutes of this game, Cam was good enough for the Patriots to win. He didn't, he didn't have any bad interceptions, which he had the last couple games. He didn't take any really stupid, stupid sacks. He didn't, um, he didn't fumble the ball. And then at the end of the game, you know, with the Patriots in field goal range to tie the game in the last minute, they're driving. They're driving Cam on a quarterback sweep, you know, out to the left. He's, he's running with the ball like a loaf of goddamn bread. Tuck that shit under your arm and hold that thing tight. You're in, you're, you have... The game tied if you if you, they stop you, okay? But the Patriots are driving. They're on like the 14-yard line with like 50, 40 seconds to go. They could win the damn game, and Cam gets he Cam gets stripped. It was heart. It was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking because the Patriots fought their asses off in the second half. Pretty pretty bad first half from the Patriots offense. I uh, I didn't like it. I thought it was really sloppy. I thought the play calling was just really bad too. There was like a, a stretch in the first half. It was a uh, a hold by Joe Tooney that was followed on the next drive by a false start by Jacoby Myers, which is followed three plays later by an illegal shift on Demir Bird, which was then followed the next drive on a uh, third and four neutral zone infraction by Devin McCourty. So four pre-snap penalties in the first quarter. One, I mean, the first half. One by one of your best players, and a hold on your franchise left guard in the first twenty minutes. It's just not what the Patriots pride themselves on. It's it's a it was a mess. It was sloppy. It was bad play calling. It was just it was a really really bad first half. And the I thought like the second half, McDaniel's and the Patriots kind of got going a little bit, but it it took them too long. It took them too long. Um, so regardless of being a step in the right direction for Cam, you know, there were some, there were definitely were some flaws in this game. One of the things that I think needs to get talked about, okay, is Jacoby Myers. This was a guy who on a really bad, really bad Patriots wide receiver core couldn't see the field the first couple weeks of the season. People were talking about him getting cut. Um, and he, He's out here making plays. Six receptions, 58 yards, a two-point conversion, and he had two receptions for 40 yards called back thanks to penalties. Okay? 
He needs to be on the field. Cam clearly is comfortable with him. He had double the amount of receptions anybody else had in this game. Okay, and a tough day to throw the ball weather-wise. Jacoby Myers was Cam's guy. That's telling you something. They had very, very, very good chemistry. Okay, Jacoby Myers needs to be on the field, whether Julian Edelman is back, whether Nikhil Harry is back. Okay, it's it's time for it's time for Jacoby Myers to get his to get his. I know Bruno can't hear me, but we always laugh about these stupid stats I find. Okay, this could be one of the stupidest stats I've ever seen. The Patriots have drafted 14 wide receivers during the Bill Belichick era. Jacoby Myers, who went undrafted, mind you, already has more receiving yards with the Patriots than 10 of them. Okay, let me go down this list for you. Julian Edelman, 6,822. Dion Branch, 4,297. David Givens, 2,214. Then we drop a thousand feet of shit to number four. Aaron Dobson, 676 yards. Jacoby Myers, 484 yards. So <laughs> Jacoby Myers is fifth, has the fifth most receiving yards of any wide receiver Bill Belichick has brought in. Um, or draft rather. I know he was undrafted, but still. Um, the guy the guy makes plays and I, I, I hope he's I hope he's more involved as we go forward here. Um, because he deserves it. And I think I think the Patriots coaching staff is smart enough to keep him on the field, but but we shall see. Um, some other things that I thought about this game, I the offensive line looked great. The Patriots ran for a hundred and how many? Was hundred eighty ish? Hundred eighty eight yards. Okay. Um, Damian Harris again, another hundred yard game. He is the Damian Harris is the lead back. When Sony Michelle comes back off of IR, it doesn't matter. Damian Harris makes plays and uh, the give him the ball. Just get the ball in his hands. He's gonna he's gonna do something good for your team. Sixteen carries, hundred two yards, six point four yards per carry and a touchdown. Cam Newton, 9.54, touchdown. Rex Burkett efficient, 4.3. Then Gunner had to end around for six yards. So pretty good yards per carry for everybody. Um, On the flip side of that, Buffalo could do whatever the fuck they wanted with the ball um, on the ground because Cam actually outperformed Josh Allen. He threw for more yards than Josh Allen. He didn't throw a pick like Josh Allen did. Um, His QBR was better. His rating was better. So Cam outperformed Josh Allen, but the – but the Buffalo rushing offense had 190 yards, so two more yards rushing than the uh, than the Patriots. But Devin Singletary and Zach Moss just really got away with anything they wanted to do against the Patriots front seven, and that's just that's that's a problem for me. The defensive tackle spot and the linebacker spot for the Patriots looks so incredibly thin. Um, Copeland is out for the year now. Um, Hightower obviously is the opt-out, and you're putting these guys like Adrian Phillips and Terrence Brooks, these safeties, in the box to play linebacker, and it's like it just doesn't work like that, you know? Kyle Duggar was out this game. He's played in the box a lot, but it's just kind of exposing the Patriots for these holes that they haven't really been able to fill, and uh, it's unfortunate because they're getting gashed. They're getting gashed, and I know Lawrence Guy is hurt, and Byron Cower isn't right, and they're really missing Danny Shelton, who left in a free agency. It's just the run defense is bad. And um, I, it was nice to see Josh Uche get out there for the first time this year. 
the Patriots third round pick out of our second round pick, excuse me, out of Michigan. He was out there making some plays, so it was good to see him. But speaking of that other Michigan man, Chase Winovich, again, I don't know what is good with him. He played nine snaps this week. He played nine snaps this week. And I guess Belichick went on the air after and said, like, he's a good player. He'll get time. He'll get time. But I, something's not right, okay? Because like we mentioned, he is he was your best defensive player for a majority of the first four weeks. And now the guy can't even step on the goddamn field. Like, what's good? Like, his only snaps this week were pass rush snaps. So that's a uh, something's wrong. That's a major red flag for me. One of the strong points of the defense, I would say, though, J.C. Jackson. Okay, Stephon Gilmore's down. J.C. Jackson's covering Stephon Diggs, and Stephon Diggs got his a little bit. He had six receptions, 92 yards. Not all of them were on J.C. Jackson. But J.C. Jackson comes up with a pick again this week, and I think that's like three or four maybe straight games for J.C. Jackson. Just I think he's proving he's a number one corner in this league, a lot like Malcolm Butler proved it back in the day. And I think it's ultimately what's going to lead to Stephon Gilmore getting traded this offseason. Okay, Gilmore's not happy with his pay, which to his credit is too low. Stephon Gilmore set the market in 2017, but the market has been reset. And he was a defensive player of the year last year, and he wants his money. And Belichick typically doesn't give the money like that. Um, the offensive line for the Patriots was great. Michael and away knew the, the six-round pick. He looks like the steal of the last uh, 10 drafts maybe for the Patriots because he had another clean sheet, which means he was clean in the run game. He was clean in pass protection. He was a beast. He he is a bully, and he moves people around like it's his job. It's it's unbelievable to see what he does. Unbelievable to see what he does. So that's pretty much my takeaway from the game. The Patriots had every chance to win this game um, at the end there, and they, they, they didn't do it. I think that's the overall overarching storyline from the season they've had chances to win games in the final minute you're so used to seeing the patriots pull it out tom brady leading them down the field okay we had it had a chance against uh seattle in week two we lost at the goal line we had a chance to drive down the field and win against the broncos didn't do it lose had a chance to do it this week against the bills didn't do it lose okay those are three games that probably go different directions in years past okay so it's been a little bit of an adjustment for the Patriots, but there was, all right, that's it for the game, okay? But there, there, there is something else I want to get to, and that is a quote from Bill Belichick this week. So it was on, I'm going to preface this by saying, it was on the uh, OMF morning show, and uh, one of his former players, Christian Fourier, who's a tight end, asked him about an interview he had with Charlie Weiss, who was a former Patriots offensive coordinator and I guess Belichick was just open and honest about some stuff with the salary cap and how it's been tough for the Patriots this year and Fourier asked him he goes what it sounds like is what it sounds like is a lot of excuses COVID excuses things you've never said before and then like a few awkward seconds and then Belichick just kind of dropped this quote I didn't say it was an excuse I never said that look we paid Cam Newton a million dollars. It's obvious we didn't have any money. It's nobody's fault. That's what we did the last five years. We sold out, won three Super Bowls, played in the fourth, and played in the AFC Championship game. This year, we have less to work with. It's not an excuse. It's just a fact. And I I remember seeing that. 
and texting Bruno and being like, holy shit. Like, holy shit. Bill Belichick is never that open and honest. And again, he has every right to complain about the salary cap this year. Or not this year. But, like, (laughs) people who are mad at Belichick, oh, you have... $50 $50 million in cap space, and you're not doing anything to, to fix your team. Well, guys, the Patriots had no cap room at the beginning of the season. That's why everyone's like, they can't afford Cam Newton, okay? Because they have $2 million in cap space. So Cam Newton's not coming to town. And then the opt-outs stop ha- start happening. Hightower's off the books. Chung is off the books. Lacoste is off the books. So on and so forth, Okay. And then it keeps adding up and adding up and adding up. And before you know it, oh, and then it's the Patriots get all the dead money from Antonio Brown. They get the dead money from Aaron Hernandez. And the Patriots suddenly look at themselves and like, wow, we have $50 million in cap space. But that didn't happen until the roster was set. Everyone, all the free agents had a team. Okay. It was not like Belichick could do anything at that point. It's just like, all right, whatever. And it's probably going to put them in a much better spot for next year, believe it or not. Because when the cap goes down considerably next year because of COVID, the Patriots are going to be sitting pretty with a low, with low cap. Okay, so these these other teams are going to have to think about getting rid of some of these big name big name players, uh, while the Patriots can be there looking to buy. So the Patriots are going to be in a great spot for next year's cap. And I think this quote was just so glorious because it lets Patriots Nation like under the hood for a rare glimpse of how Belichick really feels. And he's frustrated. Like, I think it's a savage response from Bill. Like, yeah, we sold out the end of Brady's career. And look what we did. We won three goddamn Super Bowls. Okay? We're not going to be great forever. It's impossible to be good forever. We gave you two decades of pure dominance. We paid Cam Newton $1 million. It's clear that Belichick knows paying a former MVP like Cam Newton $1 million is a travesty. Belichick knows it. He says it in the quote. He's like, we paid Cam Newton, Cam Newton $1 million. We had no money. There were eight opt-outs he didn't know about yet. Okay, He's like, literally, get off my dick. Get off my dick. He's like, I think he's just fed up. And I think I, I appreciate him for being honest about it. People are going to be like, oh, he's such a bitch. He's such a crybaby, blah, blah, blah. And Fine. If you want to think of him like that, think of him like that. I know so many, so many people hate the Patriots because they win, whatever. Um but I, I loved the quote, and I, I thought it was very telling. I think the thing I want to end with here is the Patriots being 2-5 and five and losing four in a row and just being in uncharted territory for me as a 24-year-old Patriots fan who's never seen anything like this is that it's made me appreciate so much more what I was able to witness the last 20 years. Um, it's... it's was such a ride that will never be duplicated again. The Chiefs won't duplicate it. The, the Seahawks won't duplicate it. Okay, it's just, it's just not going to happen again. Um, I think, you know, I always just assumed at the end of the year, yep, Pats will be in the championship game. We'll see if they play in the Super Bowl. And that's just how each year went. But it's it might actually be fun going forward every game. You don't know what's going to happen, okay? And who knows? And I, I, I've seen some Patriots fans being like, oh, Tank for Trevor. Tank for Trevor. Listen, if you think there's one bone in Belichick's body that actually wants to lose, or forget Belichick, any man in that locker room, you got yourself twisted. Because look at what the Dolphins did last year, right? Oh, the Dolphins are going to tank. They're going to tank for – who was it this year? Oh, shit. I forget. 
but they're like, oh, the Dolphins are going to tank for uh, for a quarterback. And it was like, well, are they actually going to do that? Because they started to win games at the end of the last season that people were like, ooh, like, you know, I, I expected the Dolphins to kind of go winless here, but they were playing competitive games and they pulled them out in the end. People were like, that's going to hurt their draft, their draft capital. But to a man in a locker room, you can't be like, hey, guys, let's go lose. Let's let's fight hard, but lose this one today. OK. Like that just doesn't happen, and if and if that's how you feel as a player, you shouldn't be in the NFL. So uh, the Patriots got the Jets coming up this week, and uh, hopefully, let's get back on on track. So I know Bruno has a couple Patriots thoughts that I'll leave you with right now. Last up, we got Patriots Bills, and I will say, I'm sure my dear and esteemed colleague Kurt is going to have a lot to say about this game, rightfully so. Um, the Bills, for those who don't know, the Bills ended up taking the 24-21 to 21 victory over the Patriots. A lot of stuff happened in this game. Basically, what it came down to, you know, what people are going to remember from this game is that Patriots were driving at the end of the game. We had the ball. We were in the red zone, you know, under a minute left. Things were looking great. It was almost assured we would at least get a field goal to tie, if not a touchdown to win. Then it happened. Cam Newton fumbles, Bills recover, run out the clock, game over, didn't even get a chance to score. So put a, a sour end to this game. Um, if you're a Bills fan, you have to just be sort of happy to come away with a win, especially because those have been hard to come by over the Patriots in recent years. If you're a Patriots fan, it's a little hard to swallow considering that this was unlike games for the Patriots in weeks past where we just looked like there was no effort and no fight and we were completely out of it. This game, while it's hard to say we really played spectacularly, there was a lot of fight and there was a lot of heart from the guys. The defense made a lot of plays. Josh Allen threw a pick. Defense was making stops here and there. Um, and so the defense kind of like kept us in the game. Josh Allen really didn't even look that great. The reason the Bills even scored the points they did was because Zach Moss just went crazy and had a ton of yards and had a, had a couple touchdowns. So they're lucky that the, their running back right there made some plays for them. Um, Cam Newton, I will say, he definitely looked a lot better this week than he has in weeks past. He, I think the thing that he's struggling the most right now is confidence. Um, because it definitely looked like at times that this game where he could have potentially run with the ball and he chose not to because he was try thinking too much or he could have made a quick throw to a receiver, but he second-guessed himself and ended up making a bad throw or something like that. But when he was actually throwing, he looked a lot better. When he actually did decide to run, he looked solid. And outside of the fumble, he actually played a pretty decent game, all things considered. So I saw a lot of people talking after the game about how Cam Newton stinks and, you know, get rid of him and we should be starting Jared Stidham or, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying all that is necessarily coming from a place that's wrong, but I will say it's easy just to look at the fumble at the end of the game and assume he played terrible and it's all his fault, when in reality, he was a big part of why we were even in that position in the first place. So it's another bitter pill to swallow as a Patriots fan. We just keep losing these games, and this is this is a very strange feeling. Um... I, you know, not accustomed to losing three games in a row, not accustomed to losing four games in a row. The Bills, you know, they, a lot of people are calling them division favorites. So, like, if you looked at this out of context, it maybe it was expected. But, you know, as we've all come to know recently, it kind of seemed like when the Patriots played the Bills, we kind of knew the Patriots were always going to win. And, you know, clearly that's not the case anymore. So, I think if you're a Bills fan, you're not completely 
sipping Kool-Aid left and right because there were still a lot of issues with the Bills. They're definitely not consistent. Josh Allen is not having these sort of games that he was to start the season. He only threw 18 passes, only had 154 yards. Um, and so he needs to get back to kind of how he was at the beginning of the season where he was more carefree, spreading the ball around, you know, throwing long touchdowns. Part of that has been that John Brown has been injured, but he came back this game. So um, the Bills are definitely happy with the win they're definitely happy to be a hated rival that's beat them many many times in years past in the patriots however i think moving forward the bills still have some cleaning up to do we will see if they can kind of get back to their dominant ways from the beginning of the season as for the patriots we are rapidly just approaching the time of like what is the season gonna look like because we just saw the trade deadline come and go we were rumored to be trading Stephon Gilmore. We did not end up trading Stephon Gilmore. We instead uh, traded a 2022 conditional draft pick for a back-end wide receiver from the Dolphins. So I guess that helps our wide receiver depth. And we have been putting in some waiver claims here and there to try to pick up more pieces to supplement what uh, has been missing or you know what have been out due to COVID or injuries so far this year. But at 2-5, and five, with the Bills being 6-2, and two, we are no longer in a point where we can sort of afford to give away some of these games. So we're going to have to go on a mini run if we want any chance of doing anything this year. But then that also raises the question of do we even want to do anything this year, right? I mean, we are Bill Belichick went on the radio this week and basically was very candid about saying the reason we're in the position we're in is because we kind of sold out over the last three or four years to win some Super Bowls. And kind of crazy to hear Bill Belichick say that considering, you know, for the most part, he's always on to Cincinnati, on to Seattle, you know, whatever it is, one week at a time. Um, but what he's saying isn't wrong, right? We The Patriots definitely made a series of trades. Some worked out, most didn't, to try to supplement Tom Brady and the defense and all this sort of stuff to put ourselves in position to succeed in, pre in previous years. And now it's kind of coming back to bite us where we definitely have some injuries. We had some COVID opt-outs. You know, it's not entirely salary cap stuff, but we do have an older team. We do have some big contracts and we're facing a critical juncture right now where we have to decide do we think we can sort of reload and retool with our current core or do we want to try to rebuild get a lot of younger guys in here get some draft picks and and you know kind of take a year or two off from being elite and then try to work our way back there um definitely a weird conversation to even be having i'm not used to that as a patriots fan i don't think i've ever been used to having that conversation so it's going to be very interesting moving forward to see kind of like how we handle it um but I will say, you know, it, there's still a lot of decisions to be made. As we all know, Cam Newton's only signed for one year. We'll have to see what happens as he continues to play. Um, we have a lot of veterans who it's like, you know, is this the end of Julian Edelman? Is this the end of a lot of some of the veterans on defense? Gilmore? Like, there's a lot of question marks for the rest of the season. And I don't think anyone really has the answers right now. It's going to uh, depend a lot on how we continue to play and how the rest of the season goes. So... Again, we are just going to have to adjust our expectations as we go. Um, if it wasn't clear already from the two and five Patriots that they are not the Patriots of old, let it be clear. Let it be known right now. That being said, I swear to God, we better. I'm knocking on wood right now. We better not lose to the Jets next week, Monday Night Football. I alluded to it earlier. We are playing the winless Jets on Monday Night Football. I'm not even going to say it. I, I, I know Kurt probably has similar thoughts as well. It is going to be officially sad boy season if we give the Jets their first win next week on Monday Night Football. So we will have to see. But, you know, uh, Patriots, 
uh, we will see how you continue to play. And Bills, the division seems like it's yours. So will you choke or will you grab it? Up to you. Yeah, it's pretty safe to say if the Patriots lose to the Jets on Monday Night Football, uh, we've reached DEFCON 1 and things have gone terribly, terribly wrong for this franchise. But that is all for Episode 9 of Playing the Field. And Bruno and I will catch you next time on Playing the Field. Chargers wasn't always another